Welcome to the Boone's Creek Baptist Church podcast. We are a church that exists to spread God's glory from our neighbors to the nations. This is Pastor Tim Wade, and we pray that you will be blessed as we consider God's living, active, and all-sufficient Word together. Amen. Well, it is a special blessing this morning to not only be able to celebrate and honor and acknowledge our graduates, but to have our graduates leading us in worship. Let this be a reminder to us, church, that our students, our youth, they aren't waiting to become part of the church as they grow up and graduate high school. They are to be included, active participants, engaged in every aspect of church life, even now. They are not the church of the future, they are the church now. And so we need to be faithful to provide them with opportunities to grow and serve in those capacities even from an early age. So thank you, students. Thank you, graduates. It's a very special blessing to be able to celebrate with you today. Well, I'd ask that you turn with me this morning to the book of Habakkuk, chapter 2. Habakkuk, chapter 2. A few weeks ago, when we began our series in Habakkuk, we started off with these words from the prophet. The very first words of the book, O Lord, How long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. Those words have perhaps never rung more truly than they have this past week. As we look at the events just since the last time we were gathered here in this room together to worship. Last Sunday afternoon, a report was released from Guidepost Solutions an independent third-party organization that was tasked with investigating the Southern Baptist Convention's executive committee and its handling of past sexual abuse allegations. This report was a 300-page bombshell detailing how those in power on the executive committee had often worked to cover up sexual abuse within the church rather than reporting it And dealing with it biblically. That was on Sunday. And then on Tuesday. Every parent's worst nightmare. Became a reality. As 21 people. Were tragically murdered. 19 of them school children. Same age as. My own daughter. I couldn't sleep that night. I prayed beside her bed that God would keep her safe on her last day of school. Even as I was unable to comprehend what it was like for 19 families whose own children's beds lay empty that very night. And as I lay 
in bed, my mind turned to these verses that we looked at just a couple of weeks ago. How long, O Lord, how long will churches cover up abuse and protect the abuser instead of the victim? How long, O Lord, will children be gunned down in their classrooms? When, O Lord, will you return and make all things new as you have promised? I'll admit to you, church, that some weeks it's very difficult for us to hold fast to what we know to be true. But on weeks like like this, it's all the more important that we do hold fast to God's word and the promises that it contains. It's all the more important that we see what God has to say in the book of Habakkuk as it helps us make sense of the evil that we observe all around us. Habakkuk observed the exact same thing in his day. And here we see God's response to his prophet as he explains how he's going to deal with all the evil that he sees going on in the world around him. We'll see this response this morning in five woes, four responses, three encouragements, two promises, and one hope. Therefore, as we dig into this text this morning, I would invite you, if you are able, to please stand together with me as we read Habakkuk chapter 2, beginning in verse 6. This is what the Lord says to his prophet. Shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say, Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. For how long? And loads himself with pledges. Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them because you have plundered many nations and the remnant of the people shall plunder you. For the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life for the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the woodwork respond. Woe to him. Who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, it is not from the Lord of hosts that peoples labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you and utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you as will the destruction of the beasts that terrified them. For the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. What prophet is an idol When its maker has shaped it, a metal image, a teacher of lies. For its maker trusts in its own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? 
Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in it. But the Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before Him. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. And let's pray. Lord, we are so grateful for Your Word because it is the only truth that we can turn to to provide hope in such unstable, violent, and unjust times as these. Lord, we long for justice to flow like a mighty river. We long for peace to pervade this land. We long for tears to no longer fall for grieving parents. All the while, Lord, we know that these things that we long for will not ultimately be realized until our Lord returns. And so even as we seek to understand your justice, Lord, even as we seek to understand what you are even now doing to bring about the end of evil, (coughs) Lord, help us to persevere. Help us to hold fast to what we know to be true. Even when the earth around us trembles for the violence that's done in it. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. As we look at these verses this morning, I'll acknowledge to our graduates that this may seem a bit out of step with our previous celebration of your accomplishments to now turn to such a heavy message. But graduates, students, all of us, really, we need to understand as you go out into the world to be further educated, to be further trained, this is the world that you are going into. And you need to go out, not in naivete, but with eyes wide open to all the wickedness that exists around us, as well as the answers that God has provided in His Word to explain what He is doing to deal with that wickedness. The first thing then that we see in this passage is five woes. The whole structure of the passage that we just read is built upon these five pronouncements of woe or judgment upon the wicked. And here we find the heart of God's response to evil. First, God pronounces woe to the thief, those that Take what does not belong to them by force. Now remember that in the immediate context of Habakkuk here, God has told Habakkuk what he's going to do. He's going to bring the Babylonians in to decimate his people. (coughs) They're going to come in and destroy and plunder Israel. And they're going to do the same thing to many other nations as well. But eventually God says the tables are going to turn. And the Babylonians, the plunderers, will become the plundered. Ill-gotten gain cannot last. In the book of Proverbs, we're reminded of this in Proverbs twenty-two sixteen, where it says, Whoever oppresses the poor to increase his own wealth or gives to the rich will only come to poverty. God will not tolerate someone who steals and oppresses in order to make themselves rich. Now, it may seem like they prosper for a while. It may seem like they do pretty well for themselves. 
They may live in a nice house. They may drive a fancy car. They may take trips to exotic locations. But suddenly, here the Lord says their ill-gotten gain will come crashing down on them. God will publicly humiliate them. And today we see too that there remain many who enrich themselves to the harm of others. Those who charge exorbitant interest rates to the poor. Those who offer payday advances at the cost of a huge sum. Who entice others to gamble away their minimal wealth. It's interesting as we look around our society today we see that Thieves no longer wear masks and hold guns. They sit behind plexiglass, behind desks, and they exploit and take advantage of people. They profit off of others' misfortune. Do not be among them. God says our disposition toward the poor should be one which we seek to help them out, not take what little they have. He says he will judge those that steal in this way. The second woe is very similar. It is for the exploiter or the oppressor. This person, similar to the thief, we're told builds his wealth, his house, on the backs of others. He builds his house, we're told, by cutting others off. They establish an empire on the backs of others, exploiting others for his own gain. They want to create a a legacy for themselves where their own nest, their own house is safe. No matter who else may have to suffer for it. In Proverbs 1, 18 and 19, this type of behavior is also condemned. There it says, but these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. Now in Habakkuk, he uses the exact same Hebrew words that's found in this verse in Proverbs for unjust gain, to warn of the coming doom for those that have exploited other people to build their houses, build their legacies. He says the very things that they have built, the very house that they have built, will cry out in condemnation against them. The stone crying out to the beam and the beam responding, reminding us where God told Cain that his brother's own blood was crying out to the ground against him. Whatever is built on injustice, on oppression, on exploiting others will ultimately condemn us. Our shame ultimately exposed. That's why this report that came out just last week on the SBC is so awful. Because we've discovered that there are pastors, leaders, lawyers who have built their careers and reputations on the backs of abuse victims whom they have silenced. Last week when this report was published, the stones cried out to the beams and their shame was exposed as the exploiters and oppressors that they were. And we can praise God for His exposing judgment on these people because God says, woe is coming to them. Woe to these people. Third, woe is pronounced on the violent. Those that build a town with blood. The the imagery here is, is graphic. The foundations of the buildings laid in blood. God says this type of violence is not from Him. He says this is not of me. He has nothing to do with it. 
This past week, we have seen horrific violence unfold. And I tell you, I for one am thankful for this pronouncement of woe and judgment. We might rightly say this morning as we gather here knowing what has transpired this week, woe to Salvador Ramos. He may have died on Tuesday, but he will one day stand before the high king of heaven who will justly condemn him for all of his violence. Every drop of blood that was shed in that classroom, every tear from a fearful child or a grieving parent will be judged and he will give an account for all of it. All of it. So woe to all men of violence who build their kingdom on the blood of others. They will all one day stand before God in judgment and be fully condemned for every drop of innocent blood that they have shed. There will not be one crime of violence that goes unpunished. Woe also to the debauched, those who take advantage of others by promoting drunkenness and sensuality here. God says that in the same way that they have shamed others, He will openly shame them by showing their own uncircumcision. Again, the graphic is language. It's in, or the, the language is graphic. Pardon me. It's intended to be so. It's intended to, to show the utter shame and humiliation of those who expose the nakedness of others. Our own world that we live in today is shamefully sensual. There are so many ways in which this is manifested in the world around us. We can look at the way that our world exposes the nakedness even of children's bodies, mutilating them, all under the name of transgenderism. We see the debauched spectacles that accompany many celebrations of sexual deviancy, many of which will be happening over the course of the next month. All that we see in our world today, it's all about perversions and an unholy desire to be gratified by gazing at someone else's nakedness. And I would wager that some have even had the audacity this morning to walk into this room and sing praises to our God with phones in your pockets that you have used to download or watch or share pornographic pictures and videos. This woe is for you. That is unholy, unjust, exploitative. And so this, this sin, it's not just out there in the world around us. This is what the SBC report tells us has been going on for decades in churches that there have been debauched men and women praying on children. And God says, woe to them all. It will not stand. This will not go unpunished. God says, I will expose them. I will make them drink the cup of my wrath. I will cover their so-called glory in utter shame. The final woe here is for idolaters. Those that worship false gods, false items. God will judge them and condemn them for looking to things that they hope will do for them what only He can do. Do you feel safe? Secure, satisfied in life because you have a house, a boat, a car, 
A phone, nice clothes, pantry full of food, any of those things can be idols. Created things that we exalt to the level that only God should occupy. And if you want to see if there's an idol in your life, take an assessment and ask yourself, what is it that occupies my time, my energy, and my money? And if you look around in your life and you see that there is something that occupies your time, energy, and money above all else, chances are that's your idol. That's the thing that you are prioritizing in your life. All idols will ultimately be exposed. And so I would urge you to evaluate yourselves and rid yourselves of those idols before God forcibly does it. To these five woes, we can see four responses. And all of these flow from the pronouncements of judgment that God has just made. First, as we see these five woes, these five pronouncements of judgment against these five groups of people, we need to remember Do not despair. Do not despair. It has been a despairing week because of the actions of evil men. Every new day, it seems, has brought new and more devastating news. But we can draw confidence from the fact that God sees all that too. God is... Brokenhearted over the wickedness that's been carried out, over the evil that's been perpetrated, over the blood that's been shed and the tears that's been cried. God sees it all. God knows it all. And God will not let one sin go unpunished. And so do not despair. Have you been abused, mistreated by someone that you trusted? Then woe to them. But do not despair because God will judge it. God will make it right. God will give you justice. Has someone taken advantage of you and stolen from you? Woe to them. Woe to them. Do not despair. God will repay. We have confidence that God will justly judge our case. Which brings us to our second response. Trust the Lord. It may seem like justice is long in coming. It may seem like it will never arrive. But just last week we saw the Lord telling Habakkuk, if it seems like it's delayed, wait for it. It's coming. Wait for it. It will surely come. Trust Him. Again, as we think about what happened in Texas on Tuesday, it may seem like justice has not been carried out. A quick and... Easy death for a man who inflicted so much pain on so many families. It's not justice. It's not. His life may be over, but he has not experienced justice. But we can trust the Lord that he will. We can trust the Lord that he will. Third, we ought to avoid wickedness. We see in this passage, every act of wickedness will be punished. There must be an account given. And so we should avoid it. Every deed that's done in secret that we think that we've got away with, it will be brought out into the open. So we ourselves should be careful to avoid wickedness, lest the woes pronounced here fall on us. Now let me make this clear. If if you are here and you are guilty of any of these things that we've already talked about this morning or Anything else, understand, you stand condemned. The pronouncement of woe 
hangs over your head. Don't just think that that simply by being less violent than Salvador Ramos, by not participating in sexual abuse, that you've done enough. Because the only way for us to avoid wickedness entirely, the, the Bible tells us that our hearts are wicked. Wickedness springs up out of them like water from a fountain. The only way to avoid wickedness, as we are called to do, to avoid these woes, this judgment, is to be clothed in the righteousness of another person, of Jesus Christ, who is perfectly righteous, who is perfectly obedient, who perfectly rejected violence and exploiting others and oppressing others, and who instead sought to uplift and encourage others. And so we must be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. We must trust in the work that He has done for us. Trusting only in Him, which brings us to our fourth response, forsaking idols. We need to examine our lives to find where we are putting our trust in something, anything besides God. Your home might be nice, but it will not bring you justice. Nor can it protect you from the unrighteous. Neither can your sports team, your family, your job, your education, or whatever else you are tempted to put your trust in. Make certain that here right now, as you said in this room this morning, that your only hope, your only confidence is not in an idol of the making of human hands, but is in the Lord Jesus Christ who came to this earth who lived a perfectly righteous life and then went to die a sinner's death for you and then rose again and is even now seated at the right hand of the Father, waiting to bring these woes of judgment to pass. Alongside these five woes and these four responses, we can also draw on three encouragements. This first one may sound odd, but... We see in this passage that we will one day taunt the wicked. That may seem petty. Why would you taunt the wicked? But this is how God begins this section. He says, shall not all these, and the these that he's talking about is the righteous who is living by faith in verse 4, shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles? The righteous will ultimately taunt the wicked. God invites us to mock them because as we taunt, as we rehearse these woes, these pronouncements of judgment, the same things that we find in the Proverbs, as we remind ourselves of these truths and celebrate a just God, it removes the fear from these people. You cannot be afraid of what you mock. And so God invites us by using his word, his pronouncement of judgment to taunt the wicked. Our taunt comes from the fact that their destruction is sure. Now listen, I I want to say this carefully because if I'm completely honest with you, the more I learn about hell, the harder it is for me to wish that anyone would go there. The more I consider how awful an eternity in hell is, how awful one moment in hell is let alone in eternity. I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. A place of perpetual suffering day after day, forever and ever. 
But there is coming a day when the wicked and violent, when the debauched, when the exploitative, when the oppressors will all be exposed for what they are. All of their sins laid bare. And on that day, all of heaven will stand and applaud our God when He righteously condemns them to hell. We long for the vindication of that day even now. And so God invites us to take up this taunt against the justly condemned, knowing that their judgment is sure. Second, we can be encouraged that the wicked will not prevail. The wicked will not prevail. Despite how successful they appear now, despite how little justice is done now, the wicked will not stand. They will not win. God and His perfect justice, God and His perfect justice will prevail. So so no matter how wrongly you may have been treated, take heart. That's not the final word. The final word and our third encouragement here is vindication. Those who have suffered unjustly. Those who haven't been believed. Those who never got their day in court. Those who haven't found justice. They will be vindicated when the just judge, the high king of heaven, who sees all and knows all, exposes all things and brings all things into the light. Vindication will come for his people. In fact, it's unlikely that many of us will experience perfect justice in this life. It's so elusive. It's so difficult to achieve. Again, how how do we even begin to think about what justice would look like for what occurred on Tuesday? How do we even begin to think about what justice would look like for the victims detailed in the report that came out on Sunday? We can't hope for it in this life. In fact, the Bible tells us, it promises us that as believers, we will suffer ridicule. We will suffer slander, persecution for now in this life, but we endure it for now, knowing that our vindication is coming. I'm sometimes a petty person when I feel like I've been wronged. I can be pretty downright petty. A few weeks ago, I bought a grill for my brother for his birthday. And I bought it secondhand. And as we were unpacking it on his birthday, we realized that what somebody had done is they had taken this grill and they would bought it new from the store and they'd unpacked it and taken the good grill top out and replaced their old rusted beat up griddle top in the bottom of the box and then packed everything back in and returned it to the store. And that's the one that I bought. But the store failed to take off their home address and phone number from the box that they'd returned it to. So I started texting them and letting them know how, how, how their crime had affected me and my family. That's how petty I am. Lauren had to talk me out of writing letters to their home address and just spamming their mailbox every day for, for weeks. I, I was going to write a letter every day for, for a month if I had to. But that wouldn't have brought justice. It might have made me feel better for a little while, but it wouldn't have brought justice. Right? 
justice in this life is elusive. It can only be administered by someone who is perfectly just, who is perfectly righteous themselves. Only God can bring justice. But God will and vindication will come. And so for those of you that have had your hearts broken, who have been treated unfairly, know that your day is coming if you have trusted in Christ. When God who sees and God who knows will vindicate you. These encouragements are followed by two promises. <coughs> We're told first in verse 14. Right in the very heart of this passage, by the way, right in the very middle of all of these five woes. We're told that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now, this statement, I think, is perhaps the most important statement in all of this book of Habakkuk. And in fact, I would argue that this statement is somewhat a thesis for the entire Old Testament. It's a statement that's been repeated elsewhere. In Numbers chapter 14, verse 21, it says, But truly as I live, and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. And then in Isaiah 11, 9, where we're given this vision of a holy and righteous future. When the Lord reigns, it says, They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. When we go back to Genesis, we find that this right here, this vision right here, this was the intent of God's creation mandate. What was Adam and Eve told to do? They were told to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Fill the earth with image bearers of God who would walk with God and fellowship with God and be full of his knowledge and spread his glory to the corners of the earth. But they sinned. And their children sinned. And so instead of the earth being filled with the knowledge of the glory of God, the earth was filled with the waters of judgment, the flood. Abraham and his descendants were then given this mission. And God told the people of Israel as they came out of Egypt, if you will just obey me, if you will keep my word, you will keep marching forward, you will never go backwards. The borders of the promised land will extend and extend. And if we keep following that out, eventually... If the children of Israel would have obeyed and kept God's word, the borders of the promised land would have covered the earth. But as we know, they failed to even conquer the nations within the borders of the promised land. They failed miserably, spectacularly. This mission failed before it ever got off the ground, just as it did with Adam and Eve. But one day, God says, this promise will become a reality. Not because of Adam and Eve, not because of the children of Israel, but because of Jesus Christ, God's perfect son who has come to make sure that this promise is carried out. Amen. As Isaiah says, when he returns, they shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. And it's because the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. What we saw this week in Uvalde, Texas, will only be a distant memory. Abuse of any kind will be non-existent because God's glory will cover the earth and His peace shall reign. How I long for that day. This promise can only be assured because of the second promise that we're told at the end of this passage. 
The Lord is in His holy temple. This is contrasted to the dead, silent, metal and wooden idols that are made with human hands. We serve, folks, we serve a living Savior. A Savior that ascended from the tomb and sets even now at the right hand of God the Father. Our God lives. And this is why we know that these things are coming to be true. Some people trust in laws to solve the problems we see in this world. Some people trust in added security measures. We've seen a lot of debate this week about what will promote safety and righteousness. But those debates will ultimately produce little fruit. Unfortunately, as awful as this week has been, the Bible tells us this is what we can expect to continue to be the case until the Lord returns. It doesn't mean we should stop trying to make it better. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't fight with every fiber of our being to make sure that kids are safe, that evil people are restrained. We should fight tooth and nail to make sure that things like this doesn't happen again. But we know that ultimately, ultimately the only hope that we have is the return of Jesus Christ. The only thing we can trust in is a living Savior who has already conquered death and hell and is even now preparing a place for those that believe in Him to live forever with Him. Which brings us to our final point. One hope. One hope. And that is that the Lord will make all things new. He has promised us that one day He will wipe every tear from our eyes. The horrific violence that has spanned the centuries from Babylon to Uvalde will be judged and condemned. The abuse that has persisted ever since Jacob's daughter Dinah was abused to our present SBC crisis will be judged and the victims vindicated. God will provide perfect justice and we know that He will because He has already begun to do so. On the cross... Of Calvary, God punished Jesus for the sins of all those that have trusted in Him. All the sins that we've committed. Justice, in one sense, has already been done for those that have trusted in Christ. God holds Habakkuk here that the cup of the Lord's right hand will come around to you, and utter shame will come upon your glory. The good news for you is that if you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, That's already happened to you. Jesus Christ drank the cup of God's right hand, the cup of His wrath. He drank it down to the bottom for you. And utter shame covered His glory so that He could cover you in His righteousness. So the worst thing that could ever possibly happen to you, if you have trusted in Jesus, it's already happened. It's over and done with. There is now no condemnation. If you have trusted in Christ, there is no pronouncement of woe hanging over your head. But for you who have not trusted in Jesus, woe to you. Because this cup is being filled even now. And if you die in your violence, if you die in your debauchery, if you die in your idolatry, if you die in your exploitation, you will bring it down on yourself. And you will drink every drop. My plea for you today is to trust In Jesus Christ's atoning sacrifice for your sins. Trust that He has drunk the cup dry for you. And then join together with us in longing for the day when all things will be made new. And that day is coming. 
Listen, when God gave Habakkuk this prophecy, he's pronouncing these woes on Babylon. Babylon was going to be the one to do all these things. You may say, well, those prophecies have come to pass. And Babylon, indeed, the political entity that oppressed Israel, was wiped off the map. But we're told there's still yet another day coming. A day where these things have not yet come to pass. In Revelation chapter 18, we're told this. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority. And the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Sounds like what Habakkuk has described. And then verse 4, I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues, for her sins are heaped as high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as she herself has paid back others, and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup that she mixed. As she glorified herself and lived in luxury, So give her a like measure of torment and mourning. Since in her heart she says, I said as queen, I am no widow. And mourning I shall never see. For this reason her plagues will come in a single day. Death and mourning and famine. And she will be burned up with fire. For mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. Today the call for us is to come out Come out of her, my people, if you are trapped in Babylon, if you are a perpetrator of this type of wickedness, the Lord is inviting you to come out today before the judgment falls. You have an opportunity to do so, to trust in Christ, to be made clean from your sins, even now, so that this woe that's been pronounced will not fall on your head. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about today's sermon or would like more information about Boone's Creek Baptist Church, you can send us an email at boonscreekchurch at gmail.com or you can give us a call at 859-263-5466. You can also find us online at www.boonscreekchurch.com. Thank you and have a blessed day.